We will read Judges 21, kind of get that in front of us, and we'll read it and then uh, kind of comment upon it. Um, if this does not make any sense to you, I don't know that it's supposed to, as far as what the people are doing and the methods that they're taking. One writer described this as the strangest chapter of them all. And in many ways, I think that is true. But it's the summary, remember, that Benjamin has gone to war against all the tribes because they were defending the men who committed vile acts, wicked acts among them. And all the other tribes go to war against them. The war results in only 600 men from Benjamin left. No women, apparently, left. 600 men that were left, their cities were burned, and we're going to see the response of Israel to this. Let's read the chapter and get it before us, and then come back and talk about the specific points. Now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give the da- his daughter to Benjamin in marriage. So the people came to Bethel and sat there before God until evening and lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. They said, Why, O Lord, God of Israel, has this come about in Israel so that one tribe should be missing today in Israel? It came about the next day that the people arose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then the sons of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him, who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the sons of Israel were sorry for their brother Benjamin and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who are left since we have sworn by the Lord not to give any of our daughters in marriage? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come in in the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were numbered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. And the congregation sent 12,000 of the valiant warriors there and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, with the women and with the little ones. This is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every man and every woman who is lame with a man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word and spoke to the sons of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimmon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had kept alive from the women of Jabesh-Gilead. Yet there was not enough for them. And the people were sorry for Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance 
for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. But we cannot give them wives of our daughters. For the sons of Israel had sworn, saying, Cursed is he who gives a wife to Benjamin. They said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh, which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes from Bethel to Shechem, on the south side of Lebanon. And they commanded the sons of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in wait in the vineyards, and watch. And behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to take part in the dances, then you shall come out of the vineyard, and each of you shall catch his wife from the daughters of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. And it shall come about when their wives or their brothers come complain to us, that you shall say to them, Give them to them, give them to us voluntarily, because we did not take for each man of Benjamin a wife in battle, nor did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. The sons of Benjamin did so, and took wives according to their number from those who danced, whom they carried away, and they went and returned to their inheritance, and rebuilt the cities, and lived in them. And the sons of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and each one of them went out from there to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what is right in his own eyes. Okay, now, in this, and that's a... There are other ways of outlining it can be equally effective, but that's a, a brief kind of outline. This chapter seems to be built on a couple of oaths. Uh, or they, they are definitely prominent in chapter. What are those oaths? What are those oaths? David? Well, one was not to give any of their daughters in marriage to... Okay, they would not give their daughters to Benjamin. Now, we had not been told that detail prior to this chapter. It happened earlier, obviously, before the battle, but we've not been told that detail. But it's mentioned here in verse 1. It's mentioned here in verse 1, none of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin in marriage. In verse 7, we swore by the Lord that we would not give our daughter to them in marriage. And then it's referred to again in verse 18. The sons of Israel had sworn, saying, Curse is the one who gives his wife to Benjamin. When someone's father or, or brother objected, they've taken our sister, they've taken our, our daughter Oh, if you would have given it to them, in verse 22, he says you would have been guilty. But because of this, you know, you're not guilty. Well, that's not really what they're asking. They're not asking whether they're guilty. They're asking how to get them back. What's the other oath? Brad? Anybody that doesn't show up to the Grand Assembly should be utterly destroyed. Okay. The one who does not show to fight Benjamin... would be utterly destroyed. You see this particularly in verse 5. In verse 5, 
For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall certainly, he shall surely be put to death. The term utterly destroyed that Brad used is in verse 11, uh, but it, but it will, it will uh, come into play and we'll talk about it in a moment. Now, let me ask you something. What is really ironic about these oaths in the context of the book of Judges? What is really ironic about those? Oh, Hannah? Um, this would be fighting against their brothers and giving their daughters to their brothers, you know, Israelites, but they are choosing to not fight the Canaanites and they're choosing to intermarry with the Canaanites all okay. through the book. Okay, exactly, on both points. First of all, the word utterly destroyed that's used in verse 11, that's used in verse 11 where they went down to Jabesh Gilead and they were told to utterly destroy every man and every woman who has lain with a man. That word is used in Deuteronomy 7, and verse 2, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 2, Deuteronomy 20 and verse 17, a couple of times, I believe, it is used to talk about what they were to do to the Canaanites. You are to utterly destroy them. Utterly destroy them. It is used, I have down in my notes, 14 times uh, in the book of Joshua, 14 times in the book of Joshua to talk about what they did to the Canaanites. In some cases, they executed it. But my point, Hannah's point, if they had shown, they asked the question in verse 3, they asked the question, why, O Lord God of Israel, has this come about that one tribe is missing? And they are, in effect, I believe, as the text unfolds, blaming God, basically, for what has happened. If they had shown the same kind of resolve in fighting the Canaanites that they show in fighting the tribe of Benjamin, this wouldn't have happened. It would not have happened. And remember before, in Judges 4, Deborah goes to battle against Barak and Gideon, or, 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 or Deborah goes to battle with, with Barak, and they fought against Jabin and Sisera. But, but in that battle, remember Judges 5, several tribes didn't show up. They didn't show up. They just, they had more important things to do. And all through the book, they have intermarried with Canaanites. Particularly, you look back to Judges 3, Judges 3 and verse 5 and 6. And the Bible tells us there, the sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. So they did intermarry intermarry with the Canaanites. If they again 
had shown the same resolve. We're not going to give any of our daughters in marriage to these Canaanites so that they end up worshiping their gods and serving them. If they would have done all of these things, this probably had never gotten there to begin with. And I think that might be a reminder to all of us. When we disobey at any point, it sets up the road for disaster later on. You, know, you look at our society today and where it is in its view of sexual morality. But this groundwork has been laid a long time. In the 1950s, with the Playboy philosophy that sex is the ultimate good in life. And if that is true, if that is the ultimate good in life, then it's foolish to limit homosexuality or any say any of those things are wrong. But the idea that that is the ultimate good and the ultimate goal of life is absolutely foolish. And I will tell you something, speaking from today's terms, it's not very inclusive, is it? How much value is the handicapped in that world? They have no value. No value at all. And no purpose. But the thing is, everything that goes wrong leads to something else that goes wrong. What, what, what thoughts do you all have preliminary? It's very good observation, Hannah. Anything else? Um, are these oaths against Benjamin in response to what happened in Gibeah, do you think? Uh, this is all one story. Yeah, yeah. This is Judges 19 through 21 is one account and so, yes, this is on the hills of what we have just seen, where there are 600 survivors. Now, I want you to notice here, the text says several times, it mentions the people weeping or feeling sorry for their brother Benjamin. In verse, in verse 2, they lifted up, they lifted up, their voice and wept. What you see in verse 6 and verse 15 is they felt sorry for Benjamin. They felt sorry for Benjamin. And, uh, but in verse 4, it came about the next day the people rose early, built an altar there, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And then they say, the sons of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes who did not go up to the assembly to the Lord? Now, what's missing from there? They lift up their voices, they wept. We read that response in Judges 20. What's missing there? You don't see any acknowledgement of anything that they did that was wrong. Okay. No acknowledgement of their sin and no asking for direction. No, no record, no record 
of them inquiring of God. No record of that. Now, you do see in chapter 20, you remember, go back in chapter 20, you saw a reference to inquiring of God in verse 18, in verse 23, and in verse 27. In verse 18, verse 23, verse 27, you find a record of the people inquiring. But there they were asking God what to do. Why not now? Why not now? You're weeping before the Lord. You're offering burnt offerings and peace offerings. And you see too, when we don't rely on the Lord, when we substitute our wisdom for inquiring of Him, you see the mess that we make of the situation. An incredible mess that they make of this particular situation. I mean, their, their, their responses to this are utter foolishness. Um, and I, I hope that I can say this in such a way and teach this in such a way as to really make that stand out. But, so they've taken one oath, we're not going to give our daughters to the men of Benjamin. And they're going to say, well, uh, we also made an about not to not to, um, to those who didn't show to fight Benjamin that they would be destroyed, and so they start thinking, well, what can we do? And um, and obviously the only answer is the only reasonable answer is go up there and just kill all the people of Jabesh Gilead and take their virgin daughters and give them to the men of Benjamin. Was was killing. <coughs> What if all Benjamin had been eliminated? Had they inquired of God before they went to battle? Why do we know that's a bad thing? Was this a misplaced compassion? Here are people who protected rapists gang rapists and murderers instead of handing them over. Maybe they should have been destroyed. I don't know if I spelled Benjamin right. But, but you get the idea. Maybe I did. Um, so the way to mourn this killing is obviously to kill more people. Makes reasonable sense. And Jabesh Gilead. Where would Jabesh Gilead be located uh, on this map? We don't know with 100% certainty where Jabesh Gilead was. But it, it, this, is, this is not what I would say is to scale. But the, the, the site most likely believed to be Jabez Gilead is about seven miles across the Jordan. That looks like more than seven miles to me. But anyway, it's, it's, it's about seven miles across the Jordan River. It's on the other side of the Jordan. And nobody from this town has come up to battle. 
And when they find out that no one from this town has come up and they have made this vow, if anyone doesn't show up for this fight, then they will surely be put to death. When they do that, they send 12,000 of their best warriors and they told them to go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. Now what strikes you about that? Go strike these warriors. i tell you what strikes me. They're not even given a chance to explain. Benjamin was given a chance to explain. Benjamin who had raped this tribe that had raped these people and they said, you hand over the guilty people that we may put them to death. They, they were, in that particular case, in the... Uh, they, they gave Benjamin a right, you hand them over and you can avoid any kind of war, any kind of conflict. I mean, doesn't it seem at least reasonable that Jabesh Gilead could have been asked, you know, why didn't you show up to this particular conflict? But it's going to be a lot easier to kill them if they don't know you're coming. So go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, with the women and the little ones, and this is the thing you should do. Utterly destroy every man and every woman who has lain with a man. And there are found through this 400 virgins who had not known a man. Now, there were some, in some Jewish writings, uh, there were some speculation as to what was done in order to find or what was asked these women to find out if they were uh, virgins or not. But 400 are found. You got 600 men of Benjamin. 400 wives are found. You still got 200 that don't have wives. And uh, the Bible tells us that Benjamin, uh, they, they, they offer peace to the people of Benjamin. They, in verse 13, the whole congregation sent word and spoke to the sons of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimmon and proclaimed peace to them. That word peace, shalom, seems so out of character in this whole chapter to me. Because there's nothing about this that really spells peace. Tommy. Yes. Don't you think the answer to all your questions is the last verse, verse 25? Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, everybody... Yeah. Everybody's just following what they want to do. And they are doing what is right in their eyes. Yes, in in many ways that's the answer to all of these chapters and all of the book. All of the book of Judges. But we've gone over some of this real quickly. Um, What comments, what ideas do you have? What questions? Anything? Brad? Uh, what was the verse that you said they, they spoke peace? It's in verse in verse thirteen, they proclaim peace. That was also done. A footnote I have in my Bible is Deuteronomy twenty verse ten, where when they approach a city that is far away, they could offer it peace. Uh, but they were to make war with the cities that 
were among them. This is, this is pre-entrance into Canaan. That's Deuteronomy 20, verses 10 through 18. Deuteronomy 20, verses 10 through 18. In Deuteronomy 20, verse 10, particularly, they called peace, or they proclaimed peace. And, and here, uh, in Judges uh, 21, verse 13, proclaim peace to them. And Benjamin returned. They take their 400 wives. And, and the people are still feeling sorry for them. Because these poor 200 guys don't have a wife. And, and how will the tribe survive it all? Uh, by the way, uh, I should have probably said this before. But what are some things that are significant about the history of Jabesh Gilead. I didn't check this statement, but one writer I saw said this is the first time Jabesh Gilead is ever mentioned in the Bible. It's not mentioned in those list of cities belonging to particular tribes. I didn't, I didn't check out that reference. But where else does Jabesh Gilead appear in the biblical story? They sent men to get Saul's body. Okay. They sent men to get Saul's body in 1 Samuel 31. What had Saul done for them? Okay, Nahash the Ammonite told the people of Jabesh Gilead. People of Jabesh Gilead went through a lot. Told the people of Jabesh Gilead, I'll make a covenant with you on the condition that I pluck out your right eye. Now, he gives them seven days because he doesn't think that anyone is going to come deliver them and this is going to be a reproach for all the land of Israel. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 11, the text tells us that they sent word to Israel. When Saul hears it, uh, Saul, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, he cuts his oxen in two, and he says, this is what's going to happen to the oxen of everyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And he leads an army by night, divides it into three companies, they attack Jabesh Gilead, and they win a victory. That is Saul's greatest success. Naash the Ammonite seems to have been a very powerful character from some references to him. And this is Saul's greatest success for Saul delivered them. But because he delivered them, because he delivered them, when he died and the Philistines put his body on the wall and have insulted him, the Bible tells us uh, that the men of Jabesh Gilead went by night, took down Saul's body, burned what remained, then buried his bones. So when David gets to be king in 2 Samuel chapter 2 he sends a message to the people of Jabesh Gilead congratulating them for their loyalty to Saul and asking them to follow him. We do not see the answer to that in that text. But, but he asked them to follow him. The men of Judah have named me king and appointed me king, anointed me king, and follow me. Uh, but we don't see the response. We don't see the answer to that. Um, 
So there sometimes Jabesh Gilead appears elsewhere in the Old Testament story. Anything else? I assume there were other people that moved into Jabesh Gilead after it was destroyed. Yes, it seems seems that it does, and it doesn't uh, say that it destroyed all the buildings. No, it, 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 that is not specifically said. You you are correct, and um, you know so people may have just used this as an opportunity to occupy what was already there. Remember too what we said. This would have happened relatively early in the judges' period. So between here and the time of Saul, I, I think a conservative estimate would be over 200 years. And 200 years, you know, things can change a little bit in uh, in places. And so, uh, but but I think that helps us to put that all in perspective, David. But. This plan, like like I said at the beginning, if this doesn't make any sense to you, I don't think it's supposed to. Hey, here are some of the elders of Israel trying to figure out what are we going to do for these 200 men, these pitiful 200 men in Benjamin who don't have wives. And again, I don't know that they should have been that concerned about that. Maybe this was the Lord's will. But they determined that they're going to solve this problem. We don't want a tribe blotted out. Again, they didn't inquire of the Lord asking that. They just know that can't be right. Just can't be right that we blot out this tribe. And each of us has said we're cursed if we give our daughters in marriage to the men of Benjamin. And so what they suggest is that we need to uh, you need to tell the and they're they're consorting here and and um, conspiring with the men of Benjamin. You when there there's a there's a great feast at Shiloh. Doesn't tell us what feast it was, whether it was a feast to the true God or a feast to someone else. But there's a festival here, and when the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance then you just lie in wait and you see one you want and you you run out, you grab her and you run away and live happily ever after. That's, that's not in the best, that last phrase is not in the best manuscripts uh, but obviously, obviously the great recipe for a good marriage here. Um, and uh, so they lie in wait and when the daughters of Shiloh come out to take part in the dances, they run out, they catch them, and run off with them. And they know that this is going to meet with controversy. But they've already got their prepackaged response. You know, when their fathers complain, or when their brothers complain, then you just say, well, you didn't give your daughter in marriage. You're not guilty of that. But let's just give, give these men of Benjamin wives. Now we want to come back to some of the key words used in just a moment. But they took their wives and they carried them off. And 
uh, they rebuilt their cities and lived in them. So much of that is significant. Any, any questions right now before we want to look at some of these words? Okay. The phrase catches in verse 21. The Hebrew verb that's translated catches. Do you know that verb is used only here and twice in Psalm 10. Psalm 10 verse 9. It's the only time this verb is used. Now, in verse 20, you have a word, lie in wait. <coughs> lie in wait. Now, this verb is used more frequently. I, I, I believe this is used 41 times. So we use about 41 times this verb. Now, seven of those times, seven times, I'll just put the time sign, are in Joshua 8, and six times in Judges 20. What's going on in Joshua 8 and Judges 20 that's, that's in common? And so that's the way the word is used there. Lie in wait is used for those ambushes sent against the city for when they draw all the fighting men away from the city. Those in ambush are lying in wait. And they're going to run into the city and they're going to take advantage of the city. Sometimes this particular word is associated with murder. For example, in Deuteronomy 19, in verse 11, it's associated with lying in wait with someone to murder them. And also, in Proverbs 1, verse 11, in Proverbs 1, verse 18. Sometimes it's connected with murder. Sometimes it is connected with adultery. The woman that's adulterous in Proverbs 7... In Proverbs 7, in verse 12, is said to be lying in wait, looking for a young man. Proverbs 23, verse 28, uh, uses this language of a harlot. And Job uses it in Job 31, verse 9, denying that he has been lying in wait for his neighbor's wife. Murder is also associated with robbery. That is the use made of it in Judges 9 and verse 25. Now I know I've got a lot of verses up here and I've got some writing that could be running together. But I want to show you how common that particular word, but it always, 
always outside of those ambushes and one time that it's used with God as the subject, outside of that, it's always used negatively. Negatively. So how are we to view this act? They are lying in wait for these women and they are catching them. This is not viewed positively. I want to look at that passage in Psalm 10 verse 9 that I mentioned. Psalm 10 verse 9. The Bible talks about the evil person spying upon the innocent or the righteous. In Psalm 10 verse 9, he lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. Uh, He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted. He draws him into his net. The word lurks used in Psalm 10.9 is this word lie and wait. Catches is the word that's used in Psalm 10 verse um, 9 as well. Uh, Catches in Psalm 10 9 is the word used in Judges 21, verse 21. The point is, this talks about the wicked person lying in wait and catching the righteous. Here, these are the terms that are used for these people getting their wives. They're lying in wait, they're catching them. How are we to view this act where these people are capturing these women? And running off with them. In a sense, this is this is a act of violence, an act of evil. In a sense, it's like kidnapping, kidnapping or rape, even. Now, one writer makes this point. Judges 19. This is Judges 19 through 21. Okay, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of room. Let me hope you got that down. Judges 19 through 21. How we, what we had. is the rape of a concubine. Then, holy war against Benjamin. Rape of the concubine, Judges 19, Holy war against Benjamin, Judges 20. Then, Benjamin, extinction is threatened. Benjamin's extinction is threatened in Judges 21. And so we have holy war against Jabesh Gilead. And 
in the rain. of the daughters of Shiloh. <coughs> so after this horrendous beginning, and they come together for battle, and they resolve, we're not going to give our daughters in marriage to the men of Benjamin. And they resolve anybody who doesn't come fight this war is going to be put to death. And they weep and they inquire of God and they go to battle. And after this, they repeat the same process again. And no wonder again by saying, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what's right in his own eyes. They have inquired of God. They have made resolves. They have determined to do better. And they end up in the same place that they were at the beginning. Only, only they're just, they justify themselves at the end of what they were... Yeah. Just like the people of Benjamin did, you know, they justified themselves too. They're doing the same thing. And it's something else, there are other words that are key here and other things that that catch our attention. But look at verse twenty three. Verse twenty three. Sons of Benjamin's did so. They took wives according to their number from those who danced, whom they carried away, and they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the cities and lived in them. You don't see, as David mentioned earlier, a a particular statement about burning the cities of Jabesh, burn the city of Jabesh Gilead. But you do find that statement in chapter 20, verse 48 about Benjamin that they also set fire to all the cities which they had found. You see that in Judges 20 and verse 48. Now, they rebuilt their city. Should they have rebuilt their cities? A couple of days ago, uh, we had as our daily Bible reading Deuteronomy 13. And let me ask you to turn over there to Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13 talks about even if someone is a prophet and he says something that comes true, but he encourages you to worship other gods. Don't put him, don't follow him. Don't listen to him. But he is to be executed. In verses 6 through 11, the situation is even if it is the closest person to you on earth, if it is your husband or your wife, if it is your brother or sister, or whoever the relation, whoever it is, that if they encourage you to worship other gods, 
you are to put them to death. Your hand is to be the first against them. They're not excused because of, of kinship. Because loyalty to God always comes first. In verses 12 through 18, 12 through 18, what if a whole city is given to idolatry? In verse uh, 12, if you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying, some worthless men have gone out from among you and have subdued and seduced the inhabitants of this their city saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known. Then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. I, I think that's interesting. You know, some people ask, was there due process of law in the Old Testament? Of course there was. Where do you think other people got that idea? Investigate, they search out. They inquire thoroughly. If it is true and the matter established that this abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the, with the edge of the sword, utterly destroy it and all that is in it, all that is in its cattle with the edge of the sword. Then you shall gather all its booty into the middle of the open square and burn the city and all its booty with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a ruin forever. It will never be rebuilt. Now, I recognize Judges 21 does not specifically say the people of this city worshipped other gods doesn't specifically say that. Though often in the Old Testament, idolatry and immorality are closely connected. But just looking at the principle involved, should these cities be rebuilt? Or is the mention of these rebuilt cities a statement that they're evil continues to be perpetuated. Verse 24 ends a lot like Joshua ended. In verse 24, the sons of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. Each one went out to his own inheritance. Back in Joshua 20, or excuse me, Joshua 24 Verse 28, not the last verse of Joshua, but near the last. Joshua dismissed the people each to his inheritance. But that was a statement that they have conquered the land. They have vowed loyalty to God. That, that has such a different feel about it. It's almost the same words, but it has such a different feel about it than this text does. In Judges 21-24. Each one of them went out from them to his inheritance. And in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what's right in his eyes. Utter foolishness. What else do you all see? Anything, David? The word catches... I looked that up in Strong's, and 
one definition is in prison. Okay. And that okay. does seem to kind of fit there. Yes. Yes, it does. I'm sure the I'm sure some of the daughters of Shiloh felt that. Um, but um, but it's it just I I think recognizing this is just really really sad to see that after all they fought about and all the things it's one of the high points of the book that they're outraged by evil that they eventually come and perpetuate those same kinds of evil I think that's really sad what we're going to try to do Lord willing with the rest of the class is study Ruth um, so it is set in Judges one one or Ruth one one in the days of the judges, and so we're going to look at the book of Ruth. Ruth, of course, is from Moab, and uh, the Bible tells us Elimelech and Naomi will go here in time of famine, and uh, eventually they will come back to the town of Bethlehem. But Lord willing, we'll try to look at that. Uh, come Wednesday night and that gives us a few cl- how many classes we have left till Ruth five or six five okay okay but Lord willing we'll try to pick that up on uh, Wednesday thank you